You are listening to the Bristow Advent Christian Church Podcast. Visit us on the web at bristowacc.net. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you here this morning in the house of the Lord. situated here just a little bit. Again, good morning, everybody. (laughs) Now that I'm situated, situated there, get her going. It is a beautiful day that the Lord has blessed us with today. How many of you springed yesterday? Got out there and did some springs type stuff. You got out there and raked the leaves or mowed in the garden or cut a little of them weeds and everything. Yesterday, yesterday was the day, you know, when you felt like, okay, it's here. Spring has sprung. Let's get in the middle of all of this. But it was a beautiful day yesterday. It is a beautiful day today that the Lord has blessed us with and a beautiful day to be here with you today in the house of the Lord. If you want to go ahead and turn to today's text, it is, again, the central verse of our text is Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And our text for today, in our conclusion of this three-part series that we have been on of David, a man after God's own heart, is 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 3 through 19. So go ahead and turn to that or get your phone to that or Stacey will have it up on screen up here whenever the time comes to that. But I'll give you just a minute to, to turn to that. And Rick, when you get there, give me an amen, would you? Oh, hey, Rick, way to go. Spring is in, 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 in the air. Yes, ma'am? Oh, yeah, okay, thank you, Joyce. Children may be released for children's church. Okay. okay, Darla, did you see that? I forgot completely about children's church. There's communion at the end of this. Do not let me forget completely about that, okay? Because when my mind gets to worry and things get flying out of it, it's like those sprockets and stuff in an engine. They're just flying out. But don't let me forget that, okay? Rick, where was I? Huh? Oh, yeah, First Samuel chapter 24, verse 3 through 19. As always, I'm thankful and blessed for the opportunity that God has given to me to share his word with you just a little bit today thankful for his great mercy. I'm thankful for his grace. And as we, as we conclude this, this series today, but there's so much more about the heart of David, and maybe that'll be another time on down the road. But as we conclude this, we will begin next Sunday with the beginning of the Holy Week, uh, with, with, some, with Palm Sunday next week. And uh, the children, as they learned from Rusty and Nurse Renda over there, it's, it's a little late this year, but it's on us. You, know? and when, you can't help but think of... of of the Easter season on a day like yesterday when you're outside and it's just a beautiful day and the new life that all of it is. But we will start on that next Sunday. But I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful for, for His mercy and I'm thankful for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who died on my behalf, died on my behalf, that I might have life and have it more abundantly here and more eternally there. Amen? All right. Today we finish up our series on on David, a man after God's own heart. And as we've been through this three-part series, we realize and we know that the heart is a very complex thing. It's a very, very diverse thing. And it's, 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 we just scratch the surface, really, 
of David's heart here because there's so much more to his story. But like I said, that may be for another time and for another place. But our, our hearts are so intricate and they're so delicate and they're so easily damaged and easily broken. And thank God we have a God that can take a broken heart and he make that heart whole again. He can take a broken life and make that heart and life whole again as well. And the Bible tells us about David today that we're going to look at through our text and throughout this message that David, David was a man's after God's own heart. And, and that, that, gives me, that gives me hope because I know more of the story of David and some of the pitfalls and some of the struggles and some of the, some of the things that he did that they were just so not headed. But still yet God said, this is a man after my own heart. That gives me hope that, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, through the grace of God, that he can see us as that way too, as men and women after his own heart. But today, we're going to look at some of the things about David's heart that, were, that God thought were so special, and how can we can be more like that. And today, from our text, we're going to look at three points that we'll look at today. Number one, we're going to see that David had a focused heart. Number two, we're going to look at David having a faithful heart. And number three, today we're going to look at David having a forgiving heart. Now, Rick, where else you rather be than right here, right now? All right, and Joe, who's got any better than we do? Nobody. Amen. All right, now the Bible is full. The Bible is, 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 a, is full of people that are imperfect people. You know, we tend to look at the heroes of the Bible, and, and that's a good that we look at them as, as uh, way up on a pedestal up there, and they did great things for God. We should look at them like that, but these are ordinary, imperfect people that God used in a mighty, powerful way. You look at the, the story of Noah. Noah drank till he passed out. Abraham lied about his marriage and then slept with his maid. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Jacob was a con man. Leah was, Leah was ugly. There's hope for us all. Amen. She, yeah, she, Leah was ugly. Moses was a murderer. Miriam was a gossip. And there's story after story within the Word of God of, of people. Story after story of people marked by scandal. Marked by their antics and by their attitudes and their stumbling and their scheming. In fact, many of the antics and attitudes you might think you would find more so in the, the Saturday night crowd at the county jail rather than the Sunday morning church crowd. What few halos there are among them could probably lose a little bit of polishing as well. And David was no exception. As we talked about earlier, David was far from perfect. There's so much more to David's story than what we've seen in these past three messages. And the Bible makes no attempt, no attempt at all to gloss over the flaws of David. And yet despite that, the flaws of David, and there are many, God declares himself in, in our, our central text for this series we're in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man who's after my own heart. That's intriguing, isn't it? That ought to pique our interest there. And, 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 and it, it's very encouraging, too. Regardless of his flaws, regardless of his failures, God looked at the heart of David and saw a heart that was in pursuit of his own. Don't we want to have that kind of heart? Don't we want to be known as men and women who were, have a heart like that? Wouldn't we like to be remembered as a man or a woman after God's own heart? Of course we would. The question is, these past few weeks, what can we learn from David? What from, 
What can we glean from the heart of David about being a man and a woman after God's heart? As we learned a couple weeks ago when Samuel anointed young David to, as the soon and, and to coming king of Israel, he had a hardworking, a humble, and a hallelujah-filled heart. Then last week as David faced Goliath, we saw a committed, confident, and courageous heart. So this morning we're going to pick up on David's story after the, in the aftermath of his triumph over Goliath. Now, David had just accomplished an incredible thing, a remarkable victory. A young man, not yet 20 years of age, who had never worn a uniform of the Israeli army, never once suited up for battle, never once carried a sword, had run out on the battlefield, faced a giant of a man, and killed him with one stone and one sling. And as a result, David has gained instant popularity in Israel. You could say, if you were to say in this day and time for these younger folks, David was trending. He was very popular. Everybody was talking about him. Everything was going on. He became a national hero. They began to sing his praises. Saul made, made good on his promise to richly reward the man who killed Goliath. And David became a permanent part of the courts, of king's court. And an overnight celebrity there within the land. Now, very few people... and. Very few people could take all this in stride, but, but David did. He kept himself humble. He kept himself doing the things that got him where he was. Remember, he spent half his time at the palace. Then he would go out and take care of the sheep for his father. He knew how to live with success without having that success affect him. And that's a rare thing when a person can do that. Now, when I say people were beginning to sing David's praises, I mean this literally. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 6 and 7, that women from all of Israel's cities sang and danced and accompanied by tambourines and joyful music and triangles, the women were celebrating. They sang, Saul has defeated thousands, but David, David, tens of thousands. I'm not familiar with the melody, but the lyrics are certainly struck a chord with King Saul. Saul may have been the big man on campus, but... Saul was also a very small man of character. So small, in fact, that he couldn't bear to watch someone who was very much his junior in age and his junior in stature and his junior in experience rise above him, both in bravery and popularity. The Bible says that Saul became very angry and he kept a jealous eye on David. Meanwhile, Saul's sanity seems to be slipping away as well. He's prone to fits of rage and restlessness has become the norm for him. Before long, David becomes the object of Saul's rage and Saul's resentment. One day as David played the harp in an attempt to soothe Saul's fractured mind, Saul suddenly grabbed a nearby spear and hurled it at David. And David dove out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. But David couldn't understand why the king hated him so fiercely, but eventually... David was forced to flee. He became a fugitive in the wilderness of Judea, but he wasn't alone. You see, David's popularity was still great, and his prowess as a warrior was, was quite, quite a following. Like Robin Hood and his merry men, David and his followers lived in the wilderness, always on the run from the king. In fact, the Bible says this, and in 1 Samuel 23, 14, that Saul sought after him every day. For months, David continued on the run. 
and in hiding. And eventually the Bible says that David and his men took refuge in the rocks and the caves of En Gedi. And En Gedi was a perfect hideout for David. It was an oasis in the desert wilderness where the freshwater springs and the waterfalls and lush vegetations and, and countless caves in the rocky limestone cliffs high above the Dead Sea. It provided great protection and water and a natural lookout spot where they could see for miles around to guard against any enemy approaching. These caves were ideal places to camouflage their presence, but somehow or another, Saul got word. He got word about David's location. So he chose for himself 3,000 elite troops from Israel, and they went to Engadi in search of David and his men. This is where we come across a very peculiar tale within 1 Samuel. A peculiar tale that further reveals the heart of David. The story is in, again, our text for today, 1 Samuel chapter 24. And that brings us to our text for today. If you'll go ahead and stand, we'll read our, our passage today. It's 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 3 through 19. And 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 3 through 19 tells us this. So he came to the sheepfolds by the roads where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And then the men of David said to him, This is the day. This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do, as to, do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart was troubled because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this against my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up out of the cave and went on his way. David also rose after, afterward and went out of the cave and called to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David uh, stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men and say, Indeed, David seeks your harm. Look, this day with your eyes you have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my, into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you, you and see that there is nothing evil or rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not come against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom did you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be the judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And so it was when David had finished speaking these words that Saul said, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with this good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you will have shown this day how you have dealt with me. And for when the Lord delivered me into your hands, and you did not kill me. For if a man finds an enemy, will he let him go away safely? Therefore, 
May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, and thank you for the reading of your word today, Father. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Father, would, would take this word, Lord, and, and bring power into our minds and power into our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, through the power of your word, Father, and the grace and mercy of your Holy Spirit, Father, help us, Father, to see the strength and the witness of David in this act today. Lord, I pray you would bless our, your word today and our understanding of it. Pray, Father, that as we continue in this walk, Lord, in this path and this earth you've called us to, Lord, may we shine your light, reflect your light, Lord, into the lives of those around us, Father. Lord, may we be your hands, may we be your feet, may we be your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The story is told from our text today in 1 Samuel chapter 24 that after Saul and his men had spent the better part of the day scouring the rocks and going through the cliffs unsuccessfully, he decides to head back home. But the text also tells us that Saul had to make a pit stop first. The Bible says this in, in verses 3 and 4. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back into that cave. They said, now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him, the day, Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your, enemy, put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Now, as we talked about earlier in the message today, and as we know for real, the Bible is a real book. It is a real book about real people and real events and real problems. And this is about as real as it can get right here. This is living proof of, of the realness of the Bible because you just can't make this stuff up. In the midst of his mad rush for vengeance, Saul must answer the call of nature. I love how King James Version translates this verse. and It wasn't proper to talk about such things in those days, and it's not proper in my mind to talk about such things in these days as well. But the King James tells us this. They use an interesting euphemism on here. It says that Saul went in to cover his feet. You might have to think about that for a minute. But it'll come to you. Saul went in to cover his feet. He finds himself crouching in the privacy of a cave, but not just any cave. He tromps right into the mouth of a cave where David and his men are hiding. Talk about being vulnerable. It's bad enough that the king is seen at that very moment, but... But now he's there in the very presence of his enemy. And with his eyes dulled from the heat and the desert sun, Saul doesn't see nor does he hear David and his men, but they sure enough see Saul. Their eyes widen, their minds race, and their hands reach for their daggers. With one thrust of their blade, they will bring an end to Saul's tyranny. And their running will be over. One of them says to David, David, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. This has to be a God thing, they said. They try to make it spiritual. This has to be a God thing, David. Didn't God say that he would put your enemy in your hand? These men with David are trained to fight. And here was their enemy right in front of them, vulnerable, waiting there at his most vulnerable moment. He's right there. David, go get him. This is it. So David... Quiet as a cat, makes his move. 
Saul is there, taking care of his business, looking out of the cave, and David edges along the wall. He takes out his knife, and then the Bible says that David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe in verse 4. And then David creeps back into the darkness, into the recesses of the cave. As David goes back there, his men can't believe what their leader has done. They, they can't believe that he... What has he done? David can't believe what he's done either. But for a different reason, for a completely opposite reason. They think David has done too little, and David is sure in his heart he has done far too much. The Bible says this in verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And then he scolded himself... He scolds his men in hushed tones saying in verse 6, God forbid that I should have done this to my master, God's anointed, that I should so much as raise a finger against him. He is God's anointed. So David held his men in check, and David wouldn't let his men pounce on Saul. Moments later, Saul exits the cave, and David soon follows after. After getting Saul's attention... David shouts from the mouth of the cave in verses 10 and 11, My men wanted me to kill you, but I wouldn't do it. Look at this piece of garment that I have cut from your robe. I could have cut you. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Look here at the evidence. I'm not against you. Saul, I'm no rebel. I haven't sinned against you, and yet you still hunt me down to kill me. Saul looks up. Saul turns around, Saul is stunned, and he wonders aloud in verse 19, who else in the world would have let his enemy get away when he had the power to kill him? May the Lord reward you well for your kindness that you have shown me today. So Saul leaves. Saul leaves in peace, and David is free, if only for a little while. So once again, we asked, what does this tale, what does our message today Teach us about the heart of David. And again, point number one we want to look at today is this. It reveals that David has a God-focused heart. Point number one, David has a God-focused heart. David faced Saul the same way that he faced Goliath by focusing upon God. When the soldiers in the cave urged David to kill Saul, look what, look what happened. Look who occupied David's thoughts in this moment. He says, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed. And for the Lord himself has chosen him in verse 6. Three times within that one verse. Three times in that one verse, David mentions the Lord. He said, the Lord forbid. He says, the Lord's anointed. He says, the Lord himself. David displays a God-saturated mind. The Lord dominates his thoughts. The same was true on the battlefield with Goliath. The soldiers who had listened to him for 40 days said nothing about God. The brothers he grew up in the same household with never spoke his name. King Saul never mentions it. And Goliath does mention God, but he uses it as a cuss word. But David takes one step on the stage and raises the subject of the living God. David rages, brings up the subject of the Almighty. The Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel. No one else does. No one else does. David discusses God alone. 
No one else discusses God at all. David discusses no one else but God. Now how might our attitudes, how might our actions change if God became our primary focus? How, how would they change if God became the primary focus of our thoughts? When we lose our focus on God, when we take our eyes off of God and we lose our focus on God, we tend to focus upon this guy. We tend to focus upon ourselves, which makes us prone to selfish and poor choices. So, how do we develop a God-focused heart? That's a big question, isn't it? That, that's, a big, that's a question of a lifetime. This journey that we're on is a journey of a lifetime, and that's a question of a lifetime. Now, a question with a lot of steps. There's a big question there that has a lot of steps, but it's always going to start every journey you go on, no matter how many steps you're going to take, will always start with one step, then two. So we're going to look at step number one today of how we get a God-focused heart Step one is developing the habit of constant prayer. Constant prayer. When we encounter a problem, pray about it. When someone tries our patience, pray about it. When peers pressure us to make bad choices, pray for them. Pray for ourselves. Make prayer our first task in the morning and the last task of the evening. And before you know it, prayer doesn't become a task anymore. Of course, the other side of that coin, which is step two, is, is this. Getting into God's Word. Read a small amount, even if it is a chapter or two, a small amount of God's Word every day. Not in order to check that off your list. Of your, of your Christian duties, but in order to hear God's voice. You know, I'm a great communicator. I have struggle hearing, though. I have a lot of problem hearing because I'm getting older and I can't hardly hear like I used to. But a lot of times, you know what the fact of this is? I'm not really listening. Here's a little test for you. Try this next time you're in a conversation with somebody. Are you actually listening to that person talking to you? Or are you actually looking for your next opportunity have lost the ability to really listen anymore, haven't we? We need to read God's Word every day, not in order to check it off our list of duties to do, but in order that we can hear God's voice. The more time we spend with God, the more time, two sides to that coin as well, the more time we spend speaking to God, and the more time that we spend listening for God, the more He will come to dominate our thoughts. David focused his heart on God. So can we. Furthermore, David had this point number two for today. David had a faithful heart. Three times in this chapter, David refers to Saul as God's anointed. The Lord's anointed. Despite his disobedience. Despite his disobedience to God and his only so-so sanity, and he's going downhill quickly here, Saul remained the rightful king. God had put him there until the time that David took it. He remained the rightful king. 
In fact, David, as he exited the cave, called out to Saul and said, My Lord, the king, in verse 8. And when Saul looked back, David fell on his knees and bowed to him as reverence. Can you believe that? Whether Saul deserved it or not, David remained loyal to the crown. I'm sure that David was tempted. Amen? I'm sure. In fact, I'm almost convinced that he almost gave in. He's sneaking up on Saul. He unsheaths his knife. I don't think that, first of all, David planned on cutting Saul's threads. He was going up there more like to cut Saul's throat. But just as he came near the king, he came to his senses. And just cut off a piece of the robe instead of stabbing Saul in the back. Despite pressure from his peers, David would not betray his king. Saul may have been faithless, but David's actions today prove his great faith. Faithfulness means being dependable, trustworthy, and firm in keeping promises and carrying out responsibilities. A faithful person will keep their vow and honor their commitment when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. That's the kind of person David was. In this way, David demonstrated the heart of God. The Bible reminds us of this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. God is dependable. He is trustworthy. He is loyal. He is staunch. He is resolute. He is constant and true to His word always and forever. You and I will face untold temptations in this life that we live. It may be the temptation to disobey a parent. It may be the temptation to break a law. Like the speed limit. Or betray a friend. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. But I've always said you can tell a lot about a person's heart by how they drive. I see you. <laughs> we may be tempted to disobey a parent or break a law or betray a friend and it's in those moments in those moments our faithfulness is tested a heart in pursuit of God is a faithful heart David had a faithful heart and number three, point number three for today David had a forgiving heart the desire to get even the desire to pay back seems to be a part of our human psyche doesn't it we love those movies where the little guy gets wronged, he comes back and kicks some tail before it's all said and done. We love those. It's part of our, our, our psyche. Revenge and retaliation are natural instincts, but David shows us a better way. David shows us a godly way. From the mouth of the cave, David declares this in verses 12 and 15, May the Lord decide between you and me. May the Lord take revenge on you for what you have done to me. However... I will not lay a hand on you. The Lord must be the judge. He will decide between you and me. Rather than exacting his revenge, David chose to put the matter squarely in the hands of God. We all got our souls in our life, don't we? We've all got souls in our life. Some, someone who's wronged us, someone who's hurt us, betrayed us, some of you can picture them in your minds right now. I see you nodding. I see you thinking. Some of you can see them in your mind right now. Some of us may have more than one. Because for a select few people, 
Forgiveness comes easy. But for most of the rest of us, it is very much a struggle. We find it hard to forgive our souls. If that scoundrel were to seek shade in our cave or lie sleeping at our feet, would we do what David did? Could we forgive the liar? Could we forgive the cheater? Could we forgive the abuser, the addict, the thief, the gossiper, the person who has hurt you? Could we forgive them? Failure to do so could prove fatal. Someone once said this, that holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The Bible agrees with that. In Job 5.2 it says resentment kills a fool. Vengeance fixates our attention on life's ugliest moments. Score settling freezes our stare, our stare at the cruel events that have happened in our past. Is that really where we want to look? Is that really where we want to live? The Bible reminds us of this in Ecclesiastes 7.9. It says it is foolish to harbor a grudge. The problem with an eye for an eye, at its very core, the problem with an eye for an eye is that everybody ends up blind. Now forgiveness isn't foolishness. Forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring or excusing the crime. And it doesn't mean that you have to be best friends forever after that. David didn't gloss over or sidestep Saul's sin. He addressed it directly. He didn't avoid the issue. But he did end up avoiding Saul. In verse 22 it says that Saul went home. And David and his men went to their fortified camp. There are instances in our life where we may have to do the same. Give grace, but if need to be, keep your distance. Forgiveness at its very core is letting go of our desire to punish the other person and let God take care of it. God occupies the only seat on heaven's supreme court. He wears the robe. He refuses to share the gavel. Only God dispenses perfect justice. Our taking revenge removes God from the equation. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So leave your enemies in His hands. In the final sum, we give forgiveness because forgiveness has been given to us. So, we like Saul have been freely given forgiveness so we like David can freely give forgiveness. Let me wrap this up. Y'all need to have the praise and worship team come up here. <laughs> you guys make your way on up here as I, as I wrap some of this up. Let me get some water here. We've all got souls in our lives. Some of us have more than one. Like I said before, for some people, a select few, forgiveness is easy. But for the rest of us, it's not. It's hard. It's hard. It might be an employer who promised you something and didn't come through with their promises. 
It might be a spouse who walked away when you needed him or her at the most. It might be a parent that failed you. It might be a child that as you got older said, I don't want nothing to do with you. It could be a friend that you've entrusted with some very intimate information and that friend not only turned against you but revealed that information and is now telling lies about you. And as you live today, in the backwash of mistreatment, you've been done wrong. You have been done wrong. And maybe you're waiting for that moment, that just right moment to get even. David had that opportunity. There will never be another instance like that where everything comes right there into place. David had the perfect opportunity, but David made a better choice. David made a godly choice. And that choice, made in a dark cave, and the rocks of Engedi revealed that David had, number one, again, a, number one, a God-focused heart. Number two, David had a faithful heart. And number three, David had a forgiving heart. And that leads us to the question of today. What kind of heart do we have? What kind of, what kind of heart do we have? You see, our hearts are just as complex. Our hearts are just as intricate, just as delicate as David's were. But Psalms 139 verses 23 and 24 tells us this, that it is in the searching of our hearts and in the testing of our hearts that our hearts are revealed. And when we allow God to do His work in our hearts, that's how our hearts are refined. Through his searching and through his testing. David's life was far from perfect. As I said before, we've only touched, we've only seen his high points up until this point in time. We've only seen his mountaintop experiences, but there's a lot to David's story that we haven't got to. Like I said, maybe in the, maybe in the future, these past few weeks, we've only seen his high points. But David had his lifetime filled with experiences in the valley as well. As we all have his struggles... We have our struggles as well. But just as David struggled, and our struggles bring us back to God who loves us, I'm encouraged and I'm thankful today as I look out upon folks out here, as I look out upon lives out here. I'm thankful and I'm encouraged and, I'm, and I want to tell you this. You know, it's, it's awful easy to, th to leave, leave a... A, a, a series of sermons over David and think, wow, that David had a heart after God. God said, this is a God's after my own heart. I just don't measure up to that. I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with this. Just as David had his struggles and just as how God worked in his heart to help him through those struggles and tested his heart in those struggles, God does the same with us. And through all those mountains, and through all those valleys of David's life, God still saw David as a man after his own heart. I want to leave you with this. As I look out upon you, I am thankful that I see a group of people who may not know it, may not think it, may not realize it, but you're a lot closer to being men and women after God's own heart than you realize.
What happens when the rubber meets the road? What happens when your life falls apart? What happens when things like that happen? You get up. You dust yourself off. You grab God by the hand. And you say, Father, I can't walk anymore. Will you guide me? Will you show me? And it's in that refining fire that our hearts are made. and Our hearts are melded. And God does his greatest work. You're a lot closer to being men and women after God's own heart than you realize. And I think God does that for a reason. Because I'm prone to being big-headed. And I'm prone to being proud. And I'm prone to not giving God the glory for what God's done in my life. And we serve, the Bible tells us we serve a jealous God. It's His glory and He will not share it. You're a lot closer to being men and women after God's own heart than what you realize. So let me leave you with these three words today. Keep it up. Keep it up. The road may be hard. It may be fraught with dangers. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to skin your knee. You're going to bang your elbow. Get up. Keep it up. Keep it up. You are men and women after God's own heart.